You're listening to the Boss Yourself First podcast, Season 1, Episode 7. If you want to be an effective leader, the first person you want to lead effectively is yourself. Self-leadership helps you create better relationships and a more fulfilling life, and in turn, lead others in a more authentic and impactful way. If this piques your interest, then stick around. I'm Robin White, your host, and this is Boss Yourself First. Welcome, friends. I am re-recording this episode because (laughs) when I was recording last time, the wind was howling so much, and I knew it was howling, but I have headphones on when I record, and I couldn't tell how much it was being picked up by the microphone. And yeah, it's kind of a constant low background noise in the recording. So yeah, we're doing it again. So hello. (laughs) Hello again. I feel like we've been here before. But hello, friends. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying our season on emotional agility. In our last episode, we had a great conversation with executive coach and consultant Janelle Jones. There was so much value there. If you missed it, make sure you check it out. Season one, episode six. So last time it was just you and me. We were talking about the messages of emotions as part of our work on building emotional agility. Remember, emotional agility is the ability to nimbly process our emotions to adjust or maintain thoughts and behaviors that align with our values and goals. And why is increasing our emotional agility important? Well, it's really part of our self-leadership. It's so we can choose responses that support how we want to show up, regardless of circumstances. And boy, have we had some circumstances lately, right? Now, I want to clear up a couple of things before we move into today's topic. Because I'm not a neurologist or a neuroscientist, we are not recognizing the difference between emotions and feelings, and we are not debating whether thoughts influence emotions more or emotions influence thoughts more. I'm not negating the importance of those studies, but for our purposes, we'll leave that work to the scientists and keep a higher view of emotional work. I'm relying on my own study, work with clients, and personal experience to explore and present information to you. Based on my studies and client work and personal experience, we're going to pause for just a minute in our emotional agility pursuit. Because normally, the next thing in the series I would want to talk to you about is strategizing and committing to actions that align your behaviors with the information you've already been gathering from your emotions. But I want to pause because I feel like I've been a little one-sided in teaching you how to mine for that information. Remember how I said for our podcast, we're not going to delve into whether thoughts cause emotions or emotions cause thoughts. For our purposes, and to keep from getting really sidetracked in our work this season, our answer to the question, the question being, do thoughts cause emotions or emotions cause thoughts, is yes, they do. Thoughts cause emotions and emotions cause thoughts. Yes. What I do know from my work is that for some of us, it's much easier to access the information we're getting from our emotions through thought or logic. And for others of us, it's much easier to access the information that we can gather from our emotions through those emotions or empathy. We're going to dedicate the first part of this episode to those who more easily access their emotions cognitively or through thought. These folks still have all the feelings. 
they just recognize and often express them differently than the people who recognize emotions first empathetically. For example, I have a client I've worked with for quite a while and she really struggled when she got feedback from work that she had low emotional intelligence or from friends who said she was unfeeling. I came to know this woman over the years and I can testify that she has feelings. She's not distracting or numbing or denying them. One of her leadership roles involved working with women who were facing some really difficult circumstances. And her lack of crying or even tearing up around women who were crying and tearing up caused her to sometimes be perceived as unfeeling or uncaring or cold. I want to be really clear. We're not talking a Sheldon Cooper kind of person. This is a lovely, caring person with a big servant heart for others. You can't call me out on that reference. It was not a friend's reference. It was a Big Bang Theory reference. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know what I'm talking about. But back to my client. When my client described how she felt getting this kind of feedback really for years, she used words like ashamed or unfeminine. She immediately experienced relief when she stepped back and examined her approach to circumstances, particularly those that for her evoked strong emotions. She approaches circumstances logically with objectivity first. Does she recognize hurt or anger? Well, absolutely. Can she cry? Yes. But it takes a really intense circumstance to brush past her logical mind to her empathetic brain. Once she realized that she wasn't alone in this approach to emotional experiences, she felt better. To know that that way of thinking about circumstances was, and I'm doing this in quote marks, legitimate, she was able to relax and appreciate the way she was made and created and honor that. What really brought this to my attention is working with an assessment called Right Path. And I know there are a lot of assessments out there, and none of them are perfect. But I will say that the good tools yield very valuable information, and I believe Right Path is a good tool. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell you on it. I'm just trying to tell you one thing I've learned from working with it. Right Path looks for hardwired behavior, and one of the spectrums it contrasts, they call it the compassion scale. It's basically looking at whether you're more detached or empathetic when it comes to circumstances. And I will say a lot of people get unhappy about that word compassion because they think it's showing that they're not compassionate. And that's just not what it's saying. It's saying that when they approach a circumstance, the first thing that a person who is more detached will do is lean into the logic side of it, the thoughts around the situation, where the person who is more empathetic will lead with the feelings, the emotions of the circumstance. It does not mean that the logic person cannot be empathetic, and it does not mean that the empathetic person cannot be logical. But they have a natural tendency to go one way or the other, and going to the other side of the spectrum takes a little more energy and intention. And to be completely honest with you, there is one more category on the Right Path Compassion Scale, and it's the middle section. People who fall in the middle range use about the same amount of energy to approach 
the circumstances with logic and empathy. About a third of their studied population leads with logic, a third with empathy, and a third are mid-range. So for some of you, leaning into your emotions will take more energy, and for some, leaning into thoughts will take more energy, and some, it'll be about the same both ways. And while we're talking about these differences, since we're a self-leadership podcast looking to not only lead ourselves, but to connect with others more authentically and with more impact, did you catch that roughly two-thirds of the population is wired to approach circumstances differently from you? Let that resonate for just a minute. Another time on another episode, we'll circle back to that work, but I want to just grab hold of this nugget while we're here. The next time you sit across the table having a tough conversation with someone at work, they may be looking at the situation through a very different lens, a lens you will understand better by increasing your own emotional agility. (laughs) Okay, that was for free. Let's get back on topic with this episode. It's because of my work with clients and Right Path that I want to make sure I'm not leaving out the listeners who are leaning more towards that logic side. Many of the things that we're doing to increase emotional agility so far are especially important for you, but they'll take a little more energy to do it. I want to take this episode to talk about the thought side or the cognitive side of this agility that we're working towards. I don't want anyone left out. Some of you may remember that in episode three, we used a tracking page and an alarm to work on building emotional literacy. When the alarm sounded, you recorded what emotions you were experiencing when the alarm went off and how those emotions showed up in your body. Let's add one more layer. This time, when the alarm goes off, yes, you recognize the emotions, you recognize the physical experience of those emotions, and you recognize the thoughts that go with that emotion. And you can go with whichever comes easiest first. Just make sure you capture all three of those things. For example, let's say your alarm goes off at 8 a.m. And the thought is, I don't want to go to work today. And the emotion is dread. Well, since we haven't talked a lot about thought, I want to make sure you're really getting helpful information from it. If the alarm goes off and the thought is, I don't want to go to work, dig a little deeper into that thought by adding because, and then complete the thought. I don't want to go to work today because there is nothing in my day that I'm looking forward to. The emotion is dread. And then you can talk about how you are physically experiencing that emotion. So let's flip the coin. And for those who are more in touch with emotions, those are accessed more easily for you. The alarm goes off and you sense dread and you notice the physical experience of dread in your body. You're tired. Your breathing might be a little shallow. You're sluggish. Whether you lean towards thoughts or emotions, make sure you're identifying the thought, the emotion, and the physical sensation of that emotion. Part of my work with clients in self-leadership, part of that Boss Yourself First program, is working with the three pillars of self-leadership. And the first pillar is awareness. Our emotions and thoughts and physical reactions are powerful. When we practice awareness in these three areas, we have the control and power over how our emotions, our thoughts, and our physical reactions affect us because we're creating space to choose our responses. Add to this awareness the understanding of the messages our emotions and now our thoughts are delivering and you are setting yourself up, my friend, to make authentic, satisfying, and impactful decisions. 
Let's play again with that example. Let's say that you're having breakfast, your emotion is dread, your thought is that there's not one thing in my day that I'm looking forward to, and you're feeling sluggish and tired. Whether you started with the thought or the feeling, you've identified dread. What message is dread showing up to deliver? Is something in your day threatening or starving one of your values? Is a need going unmet? Or an opportunity being missed? Let's say your day is going to be sitting in front of your computer screen because now you're working remotely and wading through data alone. If your values are connection and creativity, those values are being starved, being alone with numbers all day. No wonder your thought is that there's not one thing in my day I'm looking forward to. And if you approach this from the thought side, the thought being, there's not one thing I'm looking forward to in my day, you can also ask what values are being threatened or starved by what's going on. Again, if your values are connection and creativity, no wonder you're feeling dread. When you really step out and observe both your thoughts and emotions, they should be able to verify each other. I know I nerd out on these things, but I find it both fascinating and really useful. Harvard professor Dr. Susan David would tell us to use that values information as beacons, not barriers. And we'll unpack how to do that more in the next episode where it's just you and me. By the way, because I don't want any of you taking rash action with this information, it doesn't mean go quit your job because your work feels out of step with your values. I promise we'll work on that more in the next teaching episode. Before we can continue to work on committing to behaviors and practices that align with our values, we need to get really clear on identifying those values. So let's finish up this episode getting you equipped to get that values clarity. I'll make sure there is a page on the website for you to work on identifying not only your emotions and the physical experience of those emotions, but also the thoughts that accompany them. And that page will be in the podcast section of our website, boshyourselffirst.com. I realize that we are all in different places in this emotional agility journey, so this next challenge may be easier for some than others, and that's okay. I would like to challenge you to get really clear on your top five current values. And I say current values because values can shift. They may not, but they may, depending on the season of life that you're in. And I'm not talking about your morals. I'm talking about your values, those things that are uniquely important to you, the things that really matter, like connection or creativity or acknowledgement. There are a number of different ways that you could go about approaching your values work. Remember, this will help us take that next step of taking the data that we're getting from our emotions and thoughts and agilely processing them to make adjustments to maintain behavior that achieves our goals and aligns with our values. Having a clear idea of those values will help you more quickly process the circumstances that come towards you, the emotions that come up, the thoughts that come up, so that you can make those agile decisions. You've already been collecting some of this data on values in the emotions agility work that we've been doing. But another approach is to work from a list of values and choose ones that resonate with you. And that's a great approach, but I would challenge you before you do that, before you go and Google a list of values, or I will also have a values exercise on our website for you, but before you do that, I would challenge you to sit down and just brainstorm your top five values right now with the information that you already know. 
And again, I know we're in different places on this journey. Some of you may have already done this work, but it doesn't hurt to go back and revisit it. As I said, sometimes our values shift depending on the season of life we're in. Brainstorm that list, jot those down, and then put them in order of importance. And if you struggle with the brainstorming part, that is totally fine. Because the next step after you've brainstormed is to go and look at that list. See if there's anything that comes up for you that either captures or maybe feels a little bit closer to what you've already jotted down or that you suddenly recognize as one of your values. Then, as a sort of checks and balances, let's take one more approach. I want you to think about if someone were standing up at your funeral and talking about what they remember about you, And I'm not a morbid person. I know that in, I think, episode one, I asked you not to show up at my funeral and eulogize that you really respected how I honored my emotional rigidity. (laughs) No, I'm not hung up on funerals. It just, this is a really helpful exercise. So if you go there and you use your imagination and think about how you would like someone to remember you, think about those things as potential values. So we're sort of providing several different approaches so that you can verify and get really clear on what those values are. Now go back with all this information and make your top five list. Put them in order of importance. And remember, this isn't set in stone. Just work towards getting clear on your values and you'll be all set to keep building that emotional agility together. Next time on the podcast, we have a fantastic interview with career and leadership coach Brenda Abdilla. Brenda shares a really powerful practice for getting agile with the emotion of stress and so much more. I hope you'll join me for that episode. It's going to be really fun. I can't wait to share it with you. So that's next week. But in the meantime, take care, everybody. Hey everyone, I wanted to jump in here right at the end to remind you that this season we are reading the book Emotional Agility by Dr. Susan David. We're kind of reading it together and if you want to get the reading guide, you can join our Facebook group, the Boss Yourself First Facebook group and download that guide. Every once in a while, I'll pop in for a Facebook Live where we can discuss the book and this emotional agility work we're doing this season. I really look forward to connecting with you there. Hope to talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found something to grab hold of and apply in your life. As always, any link or information mentioned in this episode can be found at bossyourselffirst.com in the podcast section. And if we haven't connected yet, and I would love to, DM me on Instagram at bossyourselffirst or come to the Boss Yourself First Facebook page and let me know how you're doing and what you think. I would really love to meet you. Thanks for being here and being you. Now get out there and lead with courage and kindness and boss yourself first and add your amazingness to the world. We sure need it. Talk to you soon, my friends.